Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm flying solo for today's episode, which I think will be our last episode of 2022. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll talk a little bit about Napoli's final two friendlies during the winter break, both of which were played at the Maradona. And in part two, I'll provide an update on the Femenile, who have continued to play throughout the World Cup. So let's get right into it. I want to start with Napoli's two friendlies at the Maradona, first against Villarreal and then against Lille. As I'm sure you're already aware, we lost both of those matches, and we conceded 7 goals in the process. So naturally, some Napoli fans freaked out over this, though in truth, I think most Napoli fans did not overreact. So I want to start with the question, should we be concerned about these two results? I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't concerned even a little bit. What I would say is I'm not overly concerned with these losses, and I'll tell you why. First and foremost, these are friendly matches. They're less about the results and more about getting back to fitness and trying out some new things. They're the best way to replicate competitive play. We certainly can't achieve that level of competitive play in training. It was quite clear from Spalletti's tactics, both his formations and his substitutions, that the primary objective was not necessarily to win. If we really wanted to win these matches, I don't think we'd be bringing on guys like Zerbin and Gaetano at halftime, and we certainly wouldn't be playing Primavera players as much as we did. 
Mind you, I'm sure this was a fantastic experience for all those Primavera players, especially Benedetto Barba and Matteo Marquisano who got the most playing time, but even for those who didn't play like Gennaro Iaccarino and Lorenzo Russo, this experience of training with the first team and training under Luciano Spalletti is great for their development. Now, you might say that we still started strong lineups for the first half of each of these matches, we didn't win the first half of either match, so that might be something to be concerned about. The Villarreal match was 1-1 at the break, and against Lille we were down 1-0 at the break, but honestly that doesn't concern me a whole lot either for a number of reasons. First, we might have started strong lineups, but they were still far from our best lineups. None of the five Napoli players who played in the World Cup participated in these friendlies. Three of those players are regular starters, and I would say that they're three of the most important players even amongst the regular starters. We all know how important Kim Min-jae has been for us this season, especially while Amir Rahmani was hurt. By the way, I've been very confused about Rahmani's recovery, or lack thereof. Based on the original reports, he should have recovered by now. He suffered the injury in our 4-1 win over Cremonese on October the 9th, so it's now been about 10 and a half weeks since he last played. That suggests three possibilities. One is that they are being very careful with the recovery. I doubt that's the case. I think they would have wanted him to play in one or two of these friendlies as preparation for the Inter match. Unfortunately, none of the other possibilities are great. Either the injury turned out to be more serious than they originally thought it was, or he aggravated the injury at some point, during the recovery process. The good news is, it seems like Rachmani is actually close to returning now. The day after the Villarreal match, he did part of the group training and part personalized training, then the following day he did most of the group session. On Wednesday he went back to doing custom work on the pitch, which is why I was a little bit confused. As a general rule of thumb with Napoli, players don't return to the squad until they've completed at least one full group training session. So that made me wonder whether Rachmani had suffered some sort of setback. Fortunately, on Thursday and Friday, he did the full session in the group. So unless he suffers a setback in the final week of training before Serie A resumes, it seems likely that Rachmani will be in the squad for the Inter match. The question is, will he start? I think that might depend on the fitness of Kim Min Jae. Now we all know that Kim and Rachmani are our two best center backs, but I'd be surprised if both of them started against Inter. Like I said, Rachmani hasn't played in 10.5 weeks. By January 4th, it will be 12 weeks or 3 months since he last played a competitive football match. Meanwhile, Kim hasn't played since South Korea were eliminated by Brazil in the round of 16 of the World Cup. He only just returned to training this week, so he won't have much time to prepare for Inter either. And of course, we're all waiting to see if the injury that Kim suffered at the World Cup is serious. For those of you who aren't aware, Kim picked up a calf injury in South Korea's first match of the group stage. He played through the pain in the second match, but took a knock that seemed to cause more damage, and as a result, he was forced to sit out the final match of the group stage, but he returned and played through the pain again for South Korea's round of 16 match. Now, Kim returned to the squad on Wednesday, and he did personalized training on Thursday, as I said earlier, normally that's an indication that the player is hurt, but in this case, it was because he had just returned from a long absence. Zielinski also did personalized training, and he did not get hurt at the World Cup. 
As the club noted in the training report, both of those players reached the round of 16 of the World Cup, so that was just a way of reintroducing them to training. There was no mention of either player in Friday's training report, which generally means that they both completed the full group training session as well. Meanwhile, Leo Ostegard and Juan Jesus started in all four of our friendly matches during the World Cup break, so they should both be in top shape. Of course, they won't both start. Don't get me wrong, I like Juan Jesus, I like Ostegard, but I'm not terribly confident in them playing together. I think each of them playing alongside Kim or Rachmani is probably good enough. Now, if I had to guess, I would say that Kim and one of Jesus and Ostegard will start against Inter with Rachmani on the bench. Most likely, Juan Jesus would start over Ostegard just because of his experience, and then, depending on the situation, we might replace Jesus with Rachmani for the final quarter of the match. If Kim does have an injury, then we probably will take a little bit more risk and start Rachmani, assuming he's fit to play, alongside Jesus, and then replace Rachmani with Ostegard somewhere around the hour mark. The other two starters we've played without are Andre Frank Zambuangisa and Piotr Zielinski. To me, they were the two players we missed the most during these friendly matches. Just like we can live without one of Kim and Rachmani, but not both, I think we can live without one of Angisa and Zielinski, but not both. The midfield trio is so important to everything we do, whether it's pressing the opposition or playing out of the back. I thought their absence was especially noticeable in these last two friendly matches, particularly against Lille. In truth, I didn't really have any issues with the loss to Villarreal. I thought the first half was played at a very high level by both sides, and then the quality dropped when we made changes in the second half. Villarreal's second goal happened with Di Lorenzo playing at center back. Now, I know he's played there occasionally, but on that goal, you could see that he was playing out of position. And then the third goal was the result of a horrible pass by Diego Deme, who hardly plays and may not even be an Napoli player come January. It was the Lille match where we were really quite poor, and I think much of that had to do with the play of our midfield. There were two things the midfield didn't do particularly well, both of which Spalletti commented on after these two matches. One was that we did not press as a team. There were times where it seemed like Osimen was pressing, but his teammates were not on the same page. Now, not to pick on Elmas, but that's going to happen when he's playing out of position as a right winger. The other thing we didn't do well was recognize that Lille were actually very good at playing out of the press. The risk of playing a high press is that if the opponent gets past that first level, then suddenly there is tons of space in the midfield. We saw that time and time again where Elmas or Ndombele or Lobotka would press, Lille would pass around or through them, and then attack the space in the midfield. You might have noticed that Lobotka didn't play particularly well in these friendly matches, or at least didn't seem himself. I think that's because he wasn't playing with his usual partners in the midfield. And don't get me wrong, I thought Ndombele showed the most progress during this break, but it wasn't enough. Like I said, we can live without one of Angisa and Zielinski, but not both. Now, personally, I don't think Zielinski is going to start against Inted. I'm expecting either a 4-3-3 with a midfield trio of Ndombele, Lobotka, and Angisa, or a 4-2-3-1 with Lobotka and Angisa in the double pivot and Raspadori in the number 10. The 4-3-3 is a bit more defensive, while the 4-2-3-1 is a bit more attack-minded. 
I really hope Spalletti plays Raspadori because I think he's earned that opportunity. Unfortunately, given that we'll be playing at the Meazza and given Spalletti's MO, I think he's more likely to take the conservative approach, which means the defense-minded 4-3-3. So those are the two starters we were missing. Then you have the two depth options in Matthias Oliveira and Chucky Lozano, whose absences were also felt. The strength of this Napoli team is its quality in depth. It's the ability to replace Mario Rui with Oliveira or Politano with Lozano and not have a drop-off in quality, or better yet, to have an increase in quality because those guys coming off the bench who are both starting quality players are fresh and they're running against tired legs of the opposition. Instead, we were bringing on guys like Gaetano, Zerbin, Zanoli, Zedatka, and a handful of Primavera players. I like Gaetano, I actually like him a lot, and I think Spalletti is grooming him to be the backup to Lobotka. Curiously, Deme hasn't played a whole lot during the winter break, he wasn't in the squad at all for the Lille match due to muscle fatigue, which makes me wonder whether there might be some truth to the transfer rumors surrounding him. Or, maybe he really does have muscle fatigue, which also seems unusual given how little he's played. Personally, I actually don't think Demme is going to go anywhere in January. Anyhow, I like Gaetano, but the rest of those guys really do represent a drop-off in quality, and I thought it was quite noticeable. So with those five players back in the squad, even if only two or three of them start, Napoli is a much stronger team. Now... I do find it a little bit odd that we waited so long to bring these five players back. All of them will be somewhat cold heading into that Inter match. It would have been nice to bring them back a week earlier so they could at least play in one of these friendlies. Other teams seem to bring their players back sooner. I saw a video of Kylian Mbappe returning to PSG only a few days after he played in the World Cup final. Granted, he's one of the best players in the world, guys at that level are just built different. But we also saw Timothy Weah play for Lille after the USA reached the round of 16 of the World Cup. Jonathan David played as well coming off the bench after representing Canada. Before that, we saw Pau Torres and Jeremy Pino play for Villarreal. Mind you, neither of them played much for Spain. In fact, Pino didn't play at all and Torres played in only one of Spain's four matches. It's also worth noting that both Lille and Villarreal resume league play one week ahead of us. The next round of Liga is on the 28th and 29th of December, and the next round of La Liga is from the 29th to the 31st of December. The next round of Serie A is not until January the 4th, which is another reason why I'm not overly concerned. I think it was clear in these last two matches that our opponents were in better physical condition than we were, and that makes sense given the schedules I just mentioned. It's only natural that a team who plays a week from now would be training with more intensity than a team who plays in two weeks. The players have a few days off for the holidays, but I'm sure Spalletti will increase the intensity of training when they return on the 27th. Now, I want to comment quickly on some individual performances over these two friendlies, some of which were positive and some of which were negative. I'll start with the negatives, that way I can close part 1 on a positive note. For me, the biggest disappointment was Elif Elmas. Elmas is a guy we've talked about quite a bit on the pod, so I won't belabor the point, but once again, I was disappointed with his play. 
Now, once again, he played out of position against Villarreal, like I mentioned. This time, he played on the right wing, where he almost never plays, so it's hard to fault him too much, but he lasted only 45 minutes before he was replaced by Alessio Zerbin. He stayed on longer against Lille, playing in a more natural position for him in the midfield. He played 70 minutes before he was replaced by Raspadori, but as I mentioned earlier, the midfield broke down quite a few times in that Lille match, and it was largely due to the challenges I mentioned that we had with the press. Even though we conceded two goals after that substitution, I thought we looked much better in attack after Raspadori came on. I'll come back to Raspadori in a moment. Now, there were a couple of players who were not necessarily poor, but certainly had poor moments, specifically Diego Deme and Alex Meret. Against Villarreal, Deme played a back pass to no one, which led to their third goal of the match. That turned out to be the winner in the 3-2 defeat. And against Villarreal, Alex Meret let in a really weak goal to Adam Unas, of all people. Unas shot straight at Meret, and somehow the ball snuck through his legs. That was the third of four goals in the 4-1 defeat. Meret was otherwise okay. There wasn't much he could do on the other three goals. Now, in fairness, I think he's been really good for us this season. I know some people might disagree with that. At the very least, we can say he's only conceded a few weak goals. The Meret detractors might add a few goals that a world-class keeper might have stopped. That's debatable. It's hard to prove one way or the other, but that wouldn't imply that Meret's not good. Rather, it implies that he's not world-class, which I think most people agree with. The worst goal he conceded this season was against Bologna, both in terms of the way he conceded the goal and in terms of the context within which he conceded it. We fell behind in that match, then came from behind to take a 2-1 lead before he allowed a very soft equalizer. That can be quite demoralizing. Fortunately, that was Victor Osiman's first game back from injury, and he scored the winner for us. Meret also gave up two somewhat weak goals against Liverpool. Personally, I think those point-blank headers are more difficult to stop than a lot of people think. But either way, that was a meaningless Champions League game. That said, whenever he concedes a weak goal, I can't help but wonder if that's going to be the mistake that messes him up mentally. Even in this match, Lille should have scored a fifth goal after Meret passed the ball straight to Unas, So that is a bit of a concern for me. The last player I thought was really poor against Lille was Mario Rui. Even though he assisted our goal, I thought he got beat far too easily on too many occasions. But it was only one game, so that's nothing to be too worried about. I thought Mario Rui was actually one of our better players against Villarreal. There was one play he made where he dispossessed Etienne Capua in the area, and then he hustled to save the ball from rolling out for a corner kick, which was certainly appreciated by the home crowd. And nobody plays with the intensity that he does. Even in these friendlies, he was giving the officials an earful. So to summarize... The biggest concern I have is that we have five really important players returning to the squad who have not played in any of our friendly matches. Really, that is a short-term concern. It only takes a couple of games to get back to full match fitness, perhaps even less for Kim and Angisa. The problem is we play Inter and Juventus in the first three games back. We have a healthy cushion at the top of the table, so I think we can afford to drop a few points, but not too many. Obviously, a win against Inter would be a great result, but I'd be content with a draw playing at the Meazza. 
Unfortunately, that's the only marquee match of the round. Milan play Salernitana, Juventus play Cremonese, and Lazio play Lecce. You have to assume that they all win, so if we draw Inter, our lead would be reduced to 6 points over Milan, 8 points over Juve, and 9 points over Lazio. If we lose and they all win, it would be 5 points over Milan, 7 points over Juve, and 8 points over Lazio, which is already a little bit unsettling. However, the following round, Milan find themselves in a similar situation. They play against Roma, while everyone else plays a team you would expect them to beat. The second concern is that we have a little bit of uncertainty with respect to injuries at center back, and finally, we have a mentally fragile goalkeeper, which I think is something we've all been a little bit worried about even before that goal conceded against Lille. Now, despite the two losses, there were plenty of positive takeaways from these two matches. By far the biggest positive was Giacomo Raspadori. He only played the final 20 minutes against Lille, but we created a number of decent chances in the final quarter of that match, and Raspadori seemed to be involved in one way or another with all of those chances. He scored Napoli's only goal of the match with a lovely finish over the sliding defender and into the bottom corner. That was a very classy finish. That brought his tally to 5 goals over the 4 friendly matches. He played only 214 minutes over the 4 matches, so he averaged a goal every 42 and a half minutes. Now even though I said earlier that I think Spalletti will start a conservative 4-3-3 on the road against Inter, Raspadori certainly made a strong case to start that match. Another player I was really impressed with was Giovanni Di Lorenzo, which perhaps is unsurprising given how fit he is. He causes a lot of problems for opposition defenses when he gets forward on that right wing, especially when he makes the overlap. Now yes, he got beat by Nicholas Jackson in the Villarreal match, but he was playing out of position there. Even with Ostegaard and Jesus playing at center back, I don't expect us to concede goals like that very often. And credit to Jackson, that was a lovely strike with his left foot into the top corner. Another positive was the play of Javicha Kvareskelia. He only scored one goal and it was from the penalty spot, but for him more than anyone, these friendlies were about getting back to match fitness. He missed the final three matches before the World Cup break with that lower back injury, so Spalletti played him a little bit more than everyone else, including the full 90 minutes against Villarreal. I think that worked. He seemed to be growing in confidence with each game, and he really lit up after he scored that penalty kick. He suddenly had a little extra swagger to him, so I think that was a great call by Spalletti. And finally, these friendlies provided an opportunity to play guys who haven't featured a whole lot during the regular season. We saw Ndombele get a lot of minutes with Angisa and Zielinski not in the squad. Likewise, Zerbin played quite a bit since Lozano was not available. Gianluca Gaetano was a regular substitute, and as I said, I think he is now ahead of Diego Deme in the depth charts. And finally, this was a great experience for those six Primavera players who got the call-up, especially those who got into a couple of games. So like I said, I have a few minor concerns that I think can be overcome fairly easily, but I'm not overly concerned with the results in these two friendly matches. That will do for part one. In part two, I'll get you up to date on the Feminile. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Pod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and at our website at forzanapolipress.com. We'll close the pod with an update on the Feminile, who have continued to play throughout the World Cup break. The last time I provided an update on the Feminile was after our match day 8 victory over Brescia. We beat Brescia 4-2, which put us 3rd in the table, 3 points back of Lazio, and tied with Cittadella. We've played 4 matches since then, and the results have been fairly inconsistent. On match day 9, we drew Hellas Verona 1-1. That match was played during the week of International Day for the elimination of violence against women, so both sides wore a special patch to mark the occasion. The draw was really disappointing considering that Napoli scored only 4 minutes into the match. Adriana Gomez won a penalty kick and Romina Pina converted it to score her 4th goal of the season. The result was also disappointing because Napoli missed chance after chance in the first half. Mauri and Gomes in particular missed quality chances. It was the classic case where one team created a ton of chances and didn't take them, while the other team hardly created anything but took one of the few chances they did create. Hellas Verona didn't create their first real chance until the 72nd minute, but of course, they scored on that one chance. Verona were actually the better side for the balance of the match, so even though we probably should have won the match, by the end of it, we were probably satisfied with the result, especially playing on the road. Despite dropping points, we actually moved up in the table. That's because first place Lazio played against second place Cittadella that round. Lazio won, so we took sole possession of second place, one point clear of Cittadella. However, we also fell five points back of Lazio, who remained undefeated at the top of the table. Next, we played against Genoa, and for the third time this season, we scored four goals immediately after a match in which we dropped points. After our 1-1 draw to Ravenna, we beat Ternana 4-0. After our 2-1 loss to Gezena, we beat Brescia 4-2. And then after our 1-1 draw to Hellas Verona, we beat Genoa 4-0. That match began with a moment of silence in honor of those who lost their lives and many others who lost their homes in the tragic landslide at Ischia. Adriana Gomes scored a brace in the win, which was already her third brace of the season, two in Serie A and one in the Coppa Italia. A week after Gomes won a penalty kick and Pina converted it, Pina returned the favor winning a penalty kick for Gomes to convert. Aurora De Sancti scored her first of the season, becoming Napoli's ninth different goal scorer this season, while Julia Ferrandi scored the other goal. It was also the first time that Dimitri Lipov used a 3-4-1-2 formation. That allowed new signing Federica Veriti to get into the starting 11. Elisa Della Stal also made her Napoli debut, replacing Pina in the second half. 
With Lazio dropping points to Keva Verona that round, we reduced the gap to 3 points. Unfortunately, we gave those 2 points right back the very next round when we tied San Marino Academy 1-1. In my match report at Forza Napoli Press, I called this one a match of X's because there were so many former players and coaches on either side. San Marino are coached by Giulia Domenichetti, who was one of our two coaches last season. Meanwhile, Aurora de Sanctis, Melissa Nozzi, and Serena Landa are all ex-San Marino players. Once again, despite the result, I thought we actually played quite well. San Marino scored a fantastic team goal, there's not much we could do about that. Gomez responded with a brilliant solo goal, her 8th of the Serie B campaign and 10th in all competitions. Now with Lazio beating Trento, the gap returned to 5 points, and to make matters worse, both Ternana and Cesena won their matches, so we dropped all the way down to 4th in the table despite having lost only one match on the season. That led to the big showdown against Lazio on match day 12, the match couldn't have started any better, with Gomes completing a corner kick set-piece routine only 5 minutes in. That was her ninth goal of the season, which put her in a 5-way tie for second in the race for Capocannoniere. Ternana's Anastasia Sprinidonidou leads the way with 12 goals. The other 4 players on 9 goals are Kevo Verona's Claudia Ferrato, Brescia's Luana Merli, Cittadella's Sofia Conguli, and Lazio's Depi Chatsi Nicolao. The former Napoli forward also has 5 assists to go along with her 9 goals, so Chatsi Nicolao actually leads the league in goal contributions, and yet, Napoli completely shut her down in this match. In fact, she was so ineffective that Domenichetti replaced her just after the hour mark, which was just 6 minutes after Pina doubled our lead. That was her 5th of the season, so she's having a great season as well. Lazio did their best to push forward, but they ran into a brick wall. Our backline let very little past them, recording our 6th clean sheet of the season. With the win, we are now only 2 points behind Lazio at the top of the table. Meanwhile, Cesena and Ternana drew to Sassari Torres and Genoa respectively, so they are both 1 point behind us on 26 points. Meanwhile, Cittadella is only 1 point behind them, and 2 points behind us, so only 4 points separate 1st through 5th in the table. The Feminile are now off until January 8th, when we will play our 2nd match of the Coppa Italia against Pomigliano, and then the next round of Serie B is on the 15th of January, which will be a big round for us. There are 2 marquee matches this round, 1st place Lazio host 4th place Cesena, who are only 3 points behind the leaders. Also, 3rd place Ternana host 5th place Cittadella. Meanwhile, we visit 11th place Arezzo, so if we win and Lazio lose or draw, then we will be back to the top of the table. So that is where I will leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast platform. Now, I recorded part one before the Christmas break, so let me just take the opportunity now to say that I hope everyone had a safe and happy holiday. As we approach 2023, I also want to thank everyone for all the support in 2022. The world is a pretty messed up place these days, so this podcast has been a welcome distraction for me, and hopefully it has been for you too, even if it is only an hour or two a week. 
2022 was a great year to be an Apple fan, and I certainly enjoyed covering it all, but I couldn't do any of that without your support, so I am truly, truly grateful. Hopefully, knock on wood and cross your fingers, 2023 will be even better. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket D5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortsanapoli Pod. I will be back soon to preview the big match against Inter, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.